It just doesn't feel like a Tim Seeley book is all. It's Tim Seeley? Yeah. Tim Seeley Unbound. Revival. Tim Se- Tom- Tim Seeley and Sarah Beattie. Hmm. Do you like it? Don't we have a podcast for this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to start it when I'm done with my Frenchie? Absolutely. I like what you've done with the sort of uh, Jackson Pollock-esque hot sauce <clears throat> in the Frenchie wrapper. As close as I can get to Bloodslaw in Bellingham. You know, uh... podcast episode 153 we want to run a comic shop in bellingham washington and uh every week we record a podcast talking about the comics that came out that week uh we get in a variety of functions either related to or unrelated to the comics the comic shop or the comings and goings of our lives i'm jeff and that's getting more succinct but also less precise it was never precise let's be real welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast yeah i'm jeff oh that's django Oh, we read comics. I got no problem with you being in charge of doing the intro. That's I don't. The, that's a good. No. Your shop. I hate it. Oh, oh. God, this is off to a heck of a start. It's great. It's great. Um, hey, Django, listen, you're back. I know it's been a sort of a variety of podcasts. I would understand if people uh, didn't think that this ever was three or four people because it's uh, since the live show it's been two people. But this week it's you and I. You're fresh off uh, an airplane landing in the sky. I'm in like six thousand miles since you saw me last, people. Yeah, mm. I did see you before that though. Oh, I was talking to our the viewers. Your fans. Oh god. <laughs> Man, I yeah, okay. That's good. That's good. Um so let's uh let's talk about some books. Let's talk about Money Shot number 1. Let's talk about Detective Comics number 1014. 14. Gosh, that's been a fast 14 issues. Yeah, man. they did a, this rebirth stuff's <clears throat> been real good. Yeah. It's like it Moira keeps... McTaggart lives or something. Oh yeah, 14 of them. Uh, the Immortal Hulk number 25. Probably a little bit of uh, 24, too, I'll bet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Count Crawley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, number one. Hunter. Uh, King Thor, number two. And Marauders. Number one. Number one. I was trying to remember what the DX. DX. Dawn, Dawn of X. Dawn of X. So um, I think it's interesting that Marvel is going to be releasing a paperback in like a month or two. It's just Dawn of X Volume One, and it's the first issue of all six of the series, since they have so historically, you know, not done that. Interesting is certainly a word. I'm baffled by it. I think it's, I think it's a good move. Yeah. Yeah, because I think <clears throat> like this event, if we could call it that, more mm-hmm. than any, has had more people like I want to try the first issue of all of those. Like, right? No one is like Absolute Carnage is coming out. Let me try the first issue of every tie-in. Right. You know, like it's <laughs> it's not like a sampler plate conducive so i I I think this is and all of the books have such a different tone that it makes sense to me that they would sort of want to have a an amuse bouche of all of the different things oh like a like a whiskey flight oh yeah 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 that's what we call it when Django flies to and back from new orleans (laughs) (laughs) uh so money shot jeff Vault Comics, number one, by Tim Seeley, Sarah Beattie, drawn by Rebecca Isaacs, colored by Kurt Michael Russell, lettered by Crank. (laughs) (laughs) 
one of my very favorite Jason Statham movies. And Dino can attest to, he's seen every single Jason Statham movie. I'm surprised you haven't. I mean, I skipped, he was in like a spinoff of some Disney property or something. Just as a voice. Tool was in Crank. Was he? Yeah. Wow. At some point, Jason Statham's running around, and he encounters like these two guys with a dog in a park or something. Uh-huh. And one of them is the lead singer of Tool. And they, awesome. yeah, I think they're in a they're a couple, and like they have a dog. Anyway. Yeah, he beats him up with a boner. Yeah, he's got a boner while he beats him up. Right. I just wanted to I be have clear. Seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't beat him up with his boner. Um, so Vault Comics, we've been following them. Did you know that there is a full page introduction text piece in this comic? I missed that. I did when also. I read it the first time. <laughs> I'm only catching it right now. <laughs> Hang on. Civilization. No wonder I. Yeah, this, no wonder it took me a minute to catch this up. This is a great framing piece that we didn't get. Yeah. But to be fair, the first, well, the second page is like a giant shot of a woman in a almost state of undress. Okay, let's talk about what this is about first before we talk about <laughs> what that second page is. This is a book that the conceit of it is in the future, a group of scientists um, has developed a, an ability to go to other alien planets, but they've also noticed that. People have this absolute sort of immunity to the types of things that they see in porn because we've been inundated with all these different types of porn. And they can't get funding. And they can't get funding. So they realize that they can get funding if they use this science to go to other planets and engage in um, community building exercises (laughs) with the other aliens of that, the indigenous uh, alien species of those planets. This is like a classic setup for... Like a pretty low rent black and white indie comic, or like '80s sci-fi movie, yeah, or like you know, yeah. like uh, Barbarella or something, right? It worked really well. I I thought it was really cute and not as super dirty as it could have been. It wasn't, They're and I really... don't think that that hurt it by being not or by like it. it Threaded that that needle, so to speak. I totally agree. Um, it could have been a lot more explicit. Like yeah. we've seen a lot more penises and boobs in comics in the last four months uh, than than this showed at all. Yeah. I also think that there is sort of a category of comics in my mind where, like, sort of in your face sexuality is a big part of the story. Right. And. I think when you're dealing with things like that, it's easy to sort of have messages beat over your head. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Good one, bro. And this one didn't feel like there was any... It it was just like, I think sexuality is a thing that immediately kind of... perks up your interest about a thing right like it's for a, some people exactly like it's it is a type of thing like in the same way that violence is right you know like chuck Palahniuk is notorious for writing things that involve immediately emotion evoking things mm-hmm. uh, if it bleeds it leads yeah yeah <laughs> that's an old newspaper thing okay. <laughs> um and <laughs> i've never heard you skip like that yeah i haven't done it i don't think <laughs> um and this one, yeah, I, so this one doesn't really have anything it's pushing or any message. Like, there was kind of a message within safe sex, you know, or like Bitch Planet or other things. Um, and this is yeah. really just sort of fun romp that involves, is, like, sexuality is a main component of it. But it doesn't feel like it's using it for any other reason other than 
all people can kind of relate to the fun of it. And I kind of wonder if we're going to loop back around and, you know, have a conversation about if you idiots would just give us funding for science. In the way that you do for sex stuff? Yeah, like this. We, we wouldn't have ended up being in a like a gladiatorial combat with aliens while a giant testicled fish monster watches on. <laughs> like, you know, because I'm guessing that <clears throat> the peril that these people are going to be in is not necessarily always going to end up A-OK. And there's 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 got to be some moral to this story, yeah, right? I would and it's think probably so. not. It's okay to fuck fish monsters from other dimensions. Maybe it is. Once again, back again, Django. Here we are. Bingo. We've got a whole different podcast application going now. Computers, technology failed us. It doesn't make any sense. Django's a technological wizard, and he is frustrating and baffled by it. Yeah, I'm feeling less like a wizard and more like a dunce. Um, this is going to be really interesting. Everyone will be able to draw a cohesive line for uh, when Django uh, was failed by technology and how does he emotionally bounce back from that. I'm a technological dingbat. Um, money shot. It was good. It's good. It's hard to start that conversation for an 18th time. So um, I just want to leave it. I think it's really cool to get a piece of fiction that is sort of using <clears throat> sexuality as a mechanism that is just for fun. And it's not yeah. being used for a really lofty moral conversation. And I hope that that is okay. I hope that that is, you know, where we're headed. Or not, not that that hasn't been done, but I hope that, you know, it's okay to be talking about whatever in fiction and we're not super scared to be talking about it. I like that. I hope that that's the thing. And this does it. Django, while we were talking about this book and trying to fix that technology, you said it incredibly well, which is this is a super sexy book, but it's not dirty. Yeah. And I think that that is a really impressive line to walk. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good a good example of how you can kind of talk about a thing and not uh, not leer at it. Because this this is this is a subject matter that could be pretty. Oh yeah, look at that. exploitative uh, or clearly yeah, touch that fish. Exactly. Whatever he's got clearly down there. for the fap. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, what do you give it? Man, I I love books that Colette was supposed to be on this week, and I thought it was very funny that Colette would have been on like White Trees and Safe Sex and <laughs> Money Shot, like just like yeah, we just pull you in for the really dirty comics because you're the biggest fan of dirty comics, but. Um, you and she and I, I think, all have in common that we really like naughtiness, naughty things. We really do, yeah. and uh, we're pretty open about that on here. So I really liked the naughtiness of it. Eight point five, Ooh. eight, eight. Actually, nice. I give it a seven and a half. Uh, I I enjoyed reading it. I, I don't think that it did anything like ridiculously new, right? Um, but I'll I'll read a few more issues. Not a single penis. I hope in it keeps going. Yeah, no, no, no uh, full frontal. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Um, the thing that I did want to point out in here is uh, there's just like a four paragraph article at the very end of Vault Comics this week, talking mm-hmm. about how um, how amazing it is that comic stores exist and what they do. Um, and I would encourage everybody to come in. I don't care if you buy the comic, but come in and read this this article at the end of vault comics this month because it's it talks about some things that you know like we i think we as a as people behind the counter understand all of the ridiculous hurdles of owning a comic store and how we almost have to do it invisibly for it to make any sense to somebody who walks into the store and they talk a little bit about how we are kind of the 
the nexus for pop culture and what everybody experiences uh, outside of comic books these days. And, and they also keep dropping like flies. Yeah, and there's only a couple thousand comic stores. And like for, for being something that kind of births a lot of these ideas that turn into movies, you know, 50,000 comics is a pretty good sales number for a lot of these companies. And they rely on millions and millions of viewers for movies. And it's just a just a cool little shout out to comic stores and the the work and the importance of shops. It yeah. it scratched me right where I like to be scratched, which is the ego. Yeah, um, yeah. Everyone should come and check it out. And also, just not enough kind of things can be said about Vault, which is Colette yeah. said it really well. But it's just like a week ago, she was just like, "When did Vault kind of become the new image, which is like the new boom, which was the new image?" You know? It, yeah. And, I read a handful of Vault books on my trip, and every one of them I read, I was like, "This is a really good, unexpected comic." What was your favorite thing that you read on your trip? Because you read a lot of different things. Oh, man. I, I really enjoyed The Revenant, which is a current series from Vault. Um, I thought that that was a really interesting setup, and then nothing ever went the way I expected it to. Every issue ended somewhere I could not have predicted, and I really appreciate that. Any idea happens. how long it's going to be? Issue four was this week. I could see 12 issues okay. easy. So it's not um, close to the end. It doesn't feel, it doesn't like, feel like it. It, it would seem like they were cheating if they went fast. I also read Astro City 1 through 6, and that's some good shit. I, I don't know why I've never read it, but we got a collection with those in it, and I read them, and I was blown away. Almost started crying in the first issue. Just I've read the first two issues. I read the second paperback, which is the Confessor storyline. Okay. And then he went on a long break for several years, and then he started Astro City again at a number one. Right. I read the first two years of that coming out in monthly okay. issues. But that's like kind of the last 24 issues or so, because there's a lot of them. It's amazing comic booking. Yeah. Really, really well done. And, and kind of, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for the homage to older characters, kind of like Black Hammer. Yeah, uh, that and that's is... what this is. It's like, this is definitely not Superman talking about how little he gets to fly leisurely. Right. And this is definitely not yeah, that uh, issue Batman, or definitely not the Creeper. The Creeper's in issue yeah. three or four. It's like, I thought of Roman the whole time I was reading that. Yeah, it's I, that's a thing about you. That's a through line that I wouldn't necessarily immediately predict. But there is a sort of you like a a reference for the the old times, even though that you yeah. weren't necessarily reading those issues that they're paying deference to. No, but it gives them a chance to tell the story in a way that makes more sense to modern sensibilities. Yep. If that makes yep. sense, 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 sense. Uh, I also sense. read Vision, which I hadn't read. I'd read the first few issues and knew enough to tell everybody that it was an amazing book, but I hadn't finished it because i felt like it needed to be read it and read it in one chunker oh you gotta get a chunker to yeah and uh i did that and it is i i think so far the best complete tom king story that i've read wow I, and to be fair i haven't read all of them i haven't finished omega men yet but i liked it i like the way it ended a lot more than uh, mr miracle i'm really excited to read it yeah um, I have not finished it either. I loved Sheriff of Babylon, though, and I, 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 I like war fiction maybe a little bit more than you, maybe. I really liked that one, yeah. but I didn't feel like he... I don't think he usually puts a very good period at the end of his sentence. Yeah. And he doesn't do that in vision, but he puts an ellipses. 
which is like the other ones sometimes seem like they ended in the middle of a sentence or they went on an extra little bit too long and the the vision was like okay this is great full story a little bit creepy like it's open for a fucked up sequel so i'm excited about reading that i i'll take the hardcover home and read it because if it if the if Sheriff Babylon was one of the best things I've read in the last year, so if it's, yeah. if I can enjoy that a thing that much again, <clears throat> I got one. It. If you want to borrow it, Django, talk to me about Batman Detective Comics 1014. Peter Tomasi, Patrick Gleason. Yeah, so I haven't really been reading much. No, is it Patrick Gleason? No, no, he it's did monkey. All of the art in Super Spider-Man this week because he's actually now a Marvel exclusive artist. Yeah. Um, the this is this is Tomasi and Monkey. And it follows Mr. Freeze after he's resurrected his wife and taken her out of the stasis, which I don't think has ever happened before. Like, yeah. So I haven't been reading this book. This is the first one I read in six seven issues. Yeah, and I, yeah. yeah. There's there's been like a little bit of a Mr. Freeze through line in the issues, but Mm -hmm. it hasn't really focused on him. I don't think. And I I don't know for sure because I haven't read it in a few issues either. But this this just kind of picks up with him taking her out of out of her cryo chamber and having cured her she's really not sure what she thinks about it because she told him mm. i want to die on my own terms and he kind of froze her by Took that from like her. snuck in and froze her one day and so she's trying to figure out how to adapt and the freeze is you know like so many villains he's kind of a megalomaniac and i could see her becoming a good guy and him staying a bad guy that would be such an awesome uh, character arc for him like yeah. becoming a bad guy to save her her not wanting that her becoming a good guy and like ca- calling into question his whole shit his whole reason for yeah. existing and fighting and hating Bruce Wayne because in the in the rebirth universe like he worked for Bruce and you know there there's uh, a connection there he doesn't realize that Bruce is Batman but the last scene after she does this beautiful ballet dance for him Ooh. you realize that he's killed everybody else in the theater in order to watch her do her ballet thing. And then, of course, we get the villain, Year of the Villain tie-in, which they are mishandling the timeline on that shit pretty aggressively. But whatever. Whatever, DC. Do what you want. Yeah. I I think that they're executing it poorly, but I do like that everything, to sort of cohesify everything, all these issues are ending with people looking up and seeing this big green thing. The last like, yeah. two weeks, all these series have been ending with that. Yeah, including and Batman where... Uh, Harvey Bullock's singing in the rain naked. Yeah, but whatever's happening in Batman ain't happening in any of these other comics that Batman's yeah. in. So, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, I would give this book a solid seven. I, I'm hoping that we get an unexpected character arc out of her and him. Um, and, you know, I'll go back and read the last few issues, see how this gets set up. I don't think it's been too many since that Spectre arc. Probably like four or five. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah I did those read those. Too long ago. I guess I just fell off because I don't generally care much about Freeze. I do, but it's been a long time since there was good stuff done with him. And, yeah. And Tomasi has the ability to write very meh stories, but he also writes really great stories, and he seldom writes bad stories. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good uh, range yeah. to be in, like good enough or really good. Yeah, yeah. I would strive for that in my life. Well, hey, Nathan Butcher, 
I got a message from Nathan asking us to talk about Immortal Hulk number 25. Uh, so we're going to skip it this week. We're going <laughs> to whisper it into your ear. was this with me, um, but schedules fell through and Django came back to town, which is awesome. So I got Django here. But You're um, welcome. I read issues 24 and 25. I, I do appreciate you. Of Immortal Hulk. I hadn't read probably five in a row. So I have a whole of three in there. But I read 24 and 25. And, you know, I always say with comics, you should be able to miss issues and just get back into them. And I think that, you know, this one f- followed that truth. It was, uh, e- you know, clearly I'm missing some stuff, but I'm on board. 24 led to some crazy stuff happening, but ultimately um, a character like the Metatron, the sort of the voice of God, a, cel- a crazy celestial sort of Al Ewing Ultimates 2 uh, character shows up at the, like the end of time where Franklin Richards and Galactus were supposed to sort of like in the history of the Marvel universe that Wade's doing. Um, they're the two people who are supposed to be alive at the end of time to usher in the dawning of a new era. So like Galactus is a person who like has lived through the death of one universe and then reality restarted and that's the current Marvel universe. And he's the only person <clears throat> who's existed in both. Wait a minute. There was a thing in Alias about that where a dude remembered. Yeah, Brian Bendis always throws crazy police officers or people in police officers talking about that. He made Jonathan Hickman in a run dressed as the maker yelling about that. Okay. Um, but that's a, a through line in Marvel Comics and it showed up in Silver Server Black and has been a, a thing kind of on the surface lately. But anyway, Hulk ended up eating this person and has become. So this issue, Django is probably my pick of the week. Probably my really? favorite thing I read this week. This is amazing. Surprise, surprise. It's Immortal Hulk. Yeah, but I've been out of the game for a minute. Yeah. Foot stuck. What, what, uh, what made you fall off of it, first of all? You know, that horrible thing that happens to me where I get enough respect for something that I sort of talk myself out of being able to easily enjoy it. So, like, i sure one week of comics came out, and I saved that one for the very end because it was right. the one that I wanted to get, put, devote the most time to. And I just ended up not getting to it that week, and another stack of comics came in, and then the next month came out, and I was behind on it. And, you know, three or four months later, you're just like, I've... Okay. That same thing happened with the Grant Morrison Green Lantern book. Yeah, um, so you got Punisher Kill Crude in Django exactly, parlance. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, got on this... So this is an oversized issue. It takes place at the end of time. At I think you would have hated this. Um, at the end of time... There's a Mobius strip. And the only living planet. And it is a planet that is run by color. And the main protagonist interacts with a different protagonist. And they refer to themselves as her, H-I-R. Is like, so it's so far in the future that gender has dissolved... And names have it dissolved, so like the person's name is P A R percent sign L, and he's talk they're talking to D percent side N E L, um, and it's this crazy like it was like Prophet in the main Marvel universe, yeah, Brandon Graham's image book Prophet, and they're far in the future and you're kind of just watching these aliens exist with this gorgeous illustration and colors and you're not really able to make sense of what's going on but they introduce this idea that they have these flies that grow and contain information and they're sent back in time to deliver information but they can't go beyond the time that they're supposed to and and they're trying to 
create the seed of information to send back in time because the world and, and all of reality is broken and, and it's not ending the way that it's supposed to. And we're starting to realize that the thing that is preventing it from being is the Hulk, is the green door, is is this green energy that has become a universal constant through gamma. And we realize that the Hulk has killed and murdered Franklin Richards and Galactus and has now become this giant Kirby Hulk Galactus that is destroying all realities because he's the breaker of worlds and the ender of all things. And he destroys this planet um, just as they're able to take this so one rule within those fly seed informations is they're not able to go back in time to a place that would it wouldn't have the context to be understood and it would you know sort of destroy reality. It's a it's an aberration. At so that it can point. only go back as far as the first time people started using percent signs in their names. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the whole destroys everything. And uh, there's some I think overt references to Alex Gray paintings, who's my favorite hand painter artist um and sort of collective unconscious and the hulk and he's just sort of the hulk has become a universal force and the hulk as we know him is not you know it's not a marvel character al ewing is doing the largest most revolutionary hulk story that's been done possibly ever like yeah. he's really re redefining what the character is what makes him what it is how he fits into the universe but he's saying that the hulk is not a character the hulk is a sort of unstoppable force it's like a, a part of the subconscious it's a part of all of this collective unconsciousness that we're a part of uh and it's brutal and terrifying and very disturbing and this thing this fly is sent back in time and the epilogue of this is that uh i forget what this guy's name is like the commander or something he's like a, got a big green head but he's dissected this fly and extracted this gem from it that is presenting this information to him about these aliens from the far far future and i think it's named the leader or something uh that that alien that gets anyway this is a, a <clears throat> largely big it is and it's an oversized issue but it's a standalone thing it's uh it's it's one of those books that as you're reading it it doesn't make sense as you're reading it but then the final act everything fits together and you're like that's what that was and this all makes sense and uh i think it's Oh, this laudable like it is a huge task and al ewing has been able to do one of the largest most revolutionary stories for a long-running marvel character that i've ever read and i'm just and i were talking today about like how cool it is that we've sort of been reading comics through the epic of the greatest thor run of this jane foster thor run and, and i you know we agreed that i think this is the the best thor run that we've ever read roman has mixed emotions about it because it is so revolutionary for the character but it's also yeah i don't know it, it's amazing if you like celestial prophety gym geometry out there sci-fi this is that and then you just get fucked across the face by the hulk halfway through and he's terrifying and huge and world ending and a horrifying horrifying monster and they're going to have to somehow undo all of this for anybody else to ever be able to write the Hulk. Okay. So do they have to undo it or does this issue indicate that they were able to send the fly back far enough to stop that future? Yeah. And and right? so that's what I, and, and Justin and I talking about it this morning, that's sort of my thinking is that the Hulk is the last remaining thing at the death of a universe in the same way Galactus was. Right. 
and time has gone wrong so they have to go back in time to change something to reset it back to galactus or maybe we're in a reality of a different marvel history where this is how it went so is this bruce banner yeah it's as bruce big Banner's... as a planet yeah but we've been doing this really exploratory thing where i mean it's just the hulk mm-hmm. but you've been hanging out with the different personalities that are in his head like the gray hulk joe, joe fix and, it yeah. bruce banner's there there's like the savage hulk there's like and they're all kind of hanging out in this void space in his brain when a di- when one of those other personalities is driving the car basically so we've got moon knight hulk exactly yeah yeah this issue it just gave me gave me justin thoughts the whole time through so i i, I are you really, gonna gooey this duck no i'm gonna go 9.5 it, it's really, really, really good. I hope that me talking about it helped make any of the pieces fit better. I don't know that it did or, or what, but come in and talk to us. And, and anybody in the future, please let us know if you want to talk about a book. Django, Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Massacre or something. What? it? What? Oh, man. This this book, I read a lot of books um, while I was out of town that were surprisingly good. And I don't mean like, like I don't, I don't really have low expectations for most comics that I would actually pick up and read, but I read Mountainhead from IDW and was blown away at how cool that was. Uh, like I mentioned, the um, the the Revenant mm-hmm. just knocked me over with how how innovative it was and surprisingly uh, plotted. I guess. You, I mean, there's something to be said. I think for reading comics outside of your normal routine like in a different spot or something like yeah i think it allows you to have a slightly more unique perspective on it when it's not in the sort of daily grind of reading you know 25 issues oh, a yeah. week or something i've read every issue of criminal on my couch i know i know what that comic smells like yeah on your couch it though, smells but, like my couch but reading criminal in new orleans on a beach or something yeah it gives different... you a much different angle on the dirt and the crime yeah and the criminals <laughs> on the crimers um so this is this this book is about uh kind of a fucked up uh tv reporter woman who is a little bit of a drunk she gets in trouble for exposing this super fancy vineyard for um using cheapo wine mm. behind the scenes um, but she does it by drinking straight out of the box before the interview. So she's like not totally together. Her teeth are all purple and stuff. <laughs> and uh, and the, the whole thing goes horribly. She gets fired. And before she before she leaves for real, you know, like she drinks in her car and gets a call. And they're like, hey, the guy who used to introduce the shitty horror movies at midnight is missing. Svengoolie. Yeah, basically, can you dress up like Count Crawley and do these intros? And she's like, you're just doing this to punish me because, you know, you think I'm an alcoholic, which she absolutely is an alcoholic. You see her sneaking booze constantly throughout the throughout the issue. And she shows up very last second uh, after they've got some other dink dressed up to take this guy's place. She shows up in a badass costume and... Um, does something totally different than what Count Crawley used to do. She's just got a, a very different uh, way of of presenting the shitty movies that she's got. And uh, she thinks that she did so poorly that they're going to have to actually fire her event now. And people start calling in, and they either love it or hate it, but they're watching it. 
right? So they, they keep her on. And when she leaves, she gets attacked by a dude who is a werewolf. And the implication is that there's something strange going on with this Count Crawley guy. And he's maybe he's maybe not just a TV host. He's actually fighting monsters. And the reason he's missing, we don't know. But my guess is that uh, he's mixed up in some monster business. Um, I feel like Roman would have really liked this book also. I think Roman would dig this book. I think anybody who likes kind of fluffy monster books. Um, yeah, because Roman, I don't know if I told you this, Jeff, but you know those Fanguli things, those ads that they've had in DC lately? Yeah, yeah. Roman's um, real excited about them. Yeah, they are completely baffling and opaque to me. I don't get it. Yeah. On Facebook, Sven Gulli has been talking about how he's invading the DC universe, and may, and like all of his posts sound like Sven Gulli thinks that he's te- he's got a comic that's teaming up with Batman, but it's really just a two page spread of information about right. this old TV host. Yeah. It's so fucking weird, and and. The reason that kept popping up on my feed is that Roman is commenting on Svenguli's mm. posts, trying to talk about how cool he is for knowing who Svenguli is and having to teach all of us who Svenguli is. Man, <laughs> I am glad I'm not on Facebook. It's, it's That's a weird so meta-reality thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, whoever Svenguli is, is turning over in his grave if he's dead yet. He um, is. Son of Svenguli is actually who is now Svenguli. Oh, well, look at you. Roman's been talking to you. Um, <laughs> n- yeah, I, I listened to a podcast about him. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I, I just thought this was this was a cute a cute story that, that wasn't all fluff. And they had some good, uh, like, old school horror looking uh, mail order uh, catalog stuff in the end. It was funny. What did you say your score was? I didn't. Yeah, well, what was it? Hmm. Hmm. Give it a seven and a half. I like This that. is my seven and a half week, I guess. I love a seven and a half week. You read King Thor? I did read Seven King and Thor. a half. Really? I don't know. Did we got to talk King about Thor? it first. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, Jason Aaron and Asad Ribic and Eve Schwarzina on art and colors. I'll start off by saying that this is pretty rushed Asad Ribic art. Yeah. I didn't think it was bad, but nope, not it, bad. he's lucky he's got a good colorist. Yeah, and has a really wonderful sort of catalog of work, and I have a lot of faith in him. But you can tell when his stuff's a little bit more rushed, and this has a lot. It's it's, it's pretty rushed. He's also lucky that he's pretty good even when he's rushed. And unique. Yeah, like, this, yeah. is, this is better art than most comics out this week, and yeah. it's not up to my standards for him. It's just if you're eating, you know, that brioche all the time... Like, you can tell when you're not eating brioche. When you're putting brie on your Frenchies. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you go back to regular Frenchie. Yeah, so this... Yeah, he's just... He's, I think, one of the, the most exciting artists in comics. He doesn't do a ton of stuff, so I hold him to a real high standard. What did you think of this? This like this is Jason Aaron's final Thor four or five issue mini. I didn't read the beginning. Mm-hmm. I read little bits of... Oh, sorry, it was whole run. Mighty Thor. Okay. I, I didn't read The God Butcher. Yeah. I didn't read anything until Jane Foster took it. So, yeah. Who Wields the Hammer? Mm-hmm. Right, like volume one and two. I read a couple issues of volume three, which was the post-Secret Wars. And then I've dipped in and out very occasionally. I read all of the Unworthy Thor. So I've, like, read all the resolutions to the mysteries yeah. and haven't had any of the setup for the mysteries. I like this. Yeah. I like where it's going. I really don't like how goofy, like literally goofy, Gore's ears look at times. 
Yeah, he's a really interesting character design, and looks like the kangaroo booga from he does Tank look like Girl. a kangaroo. Um, the first twelve issues of Jason Aaron's Thor run, the original stuff, the uh, I think it was just the Mighty Thor, mm-hmm. is really pretty incredible, and I think that this stuff probably wouldn't hit quite as hard if you haven't read that because gore. There's a, a lot of the stuff with gore are moral issues. Right. And there's a lot of sort of nuanced questions of morality and humanity mm-hmm. and the worship of gods and where does that come from. And, you know, it's really interesting to get a comic book where early on it's sort of talking about birthing people without ever introducing the concept of God and do they naturally come and create these ideas to have positive instances of morality to look to like right. that's a crazy thing to read about in a comic and it's, yeah. and it's awesome so in this a is all superhero comic yeah exactly yeah. so I liked that conversation being covered some more because throughout all of that stuff and the Jane Foster stuff is great I've pretty read, yeah. pretty much read the whole Jason Aaron Thor epic at this point without missing a couple issues. But you're going to need the seven absolute editions yeah, that they put yeah. out. Um, Django DC does that. Sorry, you're going to need to read the seven omnibuses that they put out. <laughs> um, I, I think that the best part of the whole run is the beginning of that God Butcher stuff. The first like twelve really? issues is the highest mark God for me. Damn it! All right, I got to go to New Orleans next week so I can read that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's cool to get this kind of touching back on it. It's kind of the coda. It's the final mm-hmm. sort of like nailing it home again and do you feel like he needed to fight with gore again no like maybe thematically it would be nice to have thor kind of loop around to these themes but i think it would i think it could have been done yeah it could have all been done and and i think this almost just feels like you know the writer who's written the most influential thor run aside from probably walt simonson you know it's it's him getting to sort of revisit his possibly favorite part, but maybe the highest revered part of his whole run for a little closure bit. Well, and also to put Odin's son in Odin's shoes eventually, right? So, like, he's he's got similar deformities, and he's yeah. old like Odin is in most of the stories that we read, and he's kind of... Uh, the, the crown is weighing heavy on him at this point. And Jason Aaron spent a lot of time in the far future with Thor... Right. And never really resolved that timeline. Yeah. So I think giving that that timeline an opportunity to have an ending, mm-hmm. while not maybe super important, is a nice gesture. And I think it probably maybe makes Jason Aaron feel better than anybody. But I liked it. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was good. I've I've read this is number two, so I've read one and two, and uh, I liked. I liked how Loki is still an agent of chaos, even though yeah. he's kind of possessed and and it doesn't really seem like he's himself. He's still just fucking with everybody. And the final instance of this is sort of like Loki has brought Gore back to kill both he and Thor because, well, to kill himself because he could never kill himself, but he wants to kill Thor. And as they're about to die... Like, I, I love that character beat of Thor saying, like, you know, Mother never gave up hope on you, Loki. She always said, like, that that guy is going to save us all. You need to protect him because at one point he's going to save us all. Right. And that Loki is kind of, like, admitting to be a chaotic traitor. But I think Thor recalling that story is going to ultimately cause him to fulfill that prophecy. And, and I like that bit of redemption and even yeah. people who think that they're shitty surprise themselves. It's interesting how many... 
I mean, it's nothing new for comics to cover the end of all existence, mm-hmm. but it seems like we're on an increased frequency of that kind of story. Uh, like this is these guys ending all of existence. You just talked about Hulk ending all of existence. Yeah. The X Men have been barreling towards the ending all of existence. And the Watchmen. And the Watchmen is going to end everything. Like, it it just, it's kind of strange to me to see how often that's coming up. And, you know, a lot of them are in the the same universe or two. They're going to have to fucking pick one, man. Like, Thor can't end the universe. Hulk can't end the universe. (laughs) They can't both do it. Uh, Yeah, and I think that sort of our political climate has a lot of people thinking about I think we're in a shadowy world right now, so I think it yeah. doesn't make a lot of it doesn't surprise me much that people are thinking about the end times a lot. But I sort of want to follow that up by a conversation about the Watchmen. So I'm going to give this issue a seven point five. Me too. I love it. We're two two episodes into this new Watchmen show. Oh man, if you're not watching it, look at the show notes and and figure out how much of this yeah. to skip. Skip ahead. Uh, I I think that this much like True Detective is a TV show that should be. Watched as it's coming out. Yeah, weekly. And it's okay if you've missed all, the two that have come out so far, but fucking catch up before yeah. next week and just, uh, there's a lot to digest in each episode. So, first, right off the bat, I'm really liking it. Me too. Really yeah. liking it? Ditto. I think it's important More to mention, than a seven and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to mention really early that this uh, TV show is following up on the comic book story. And not the movie story, which had a very large change in it. Watchmen spoilers, everybody. Watchmen spoilers. Yeah, well, yeah. Fuck you. You should have paused it by now. <laughs> it rains squids at some point, which indicates that it wasn't a nuclear blast that destroyed uh, New York. It was Ozymandias' uh, crazy squid monster. So I'm watching it with Sam, and she's really liking it. But last night, 15 minutes in, we just paused it and went on a drive, and I talk to her about like oh so that naked guy in the first episode that was Ozymandias and he did this thing and as I was explaining it I take for granted how much working in a comic shop I've read The Watchmen two times it's been like 10 years since I've done it last and but it's still in your blood as a comic book fan oh yeah it's referenced in in almost every comic everything so I was trying to start explaining some of those story elements to Sam and I realized there's so much more why to everything than the space that it occupies in my brain. You know, like, I remember what happened and who did it and kind of what it meant. Right. But to start talking about why Ozymandias did what he did and why he thought that and the sort of the the superhero group that followed a superhero group and it's really about... And I actually just really would love to talk to you and Justin about what The Watchmen is about. We need to all read it. I don't even think we I need to. Re-read it. Like I, I think that the two of you could tell me, like even to me, the the idea of who watches the Watchmen. Right. I can't even really tell you definitively who that quote is talking about. Right. And that's kind of the main theme of that story. So like, there's a lot of thematic stuff that I don't remember about that book that I would love to hear you guys talk about. Do you think that Sam's experience watching the TV show is enhanced by you giving her cliff notes on references? Or do you think that the show... When I'm watching it, I feel like the show could stand all by itself. Also, I don't feel like I have confirmation that that's Ozymandias. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, just Justin told me that, and I, I believe it. I okay. believe that, that that was his read on it. At and... the end of this episode, I thought maybe it was Dr. Manhattan. Oh, Looking like a person. Yeah, because they keep mentioning that. And, and that's he, a great and idea. And he did the play of his creation. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, you're right. You should talk to Justin about that because that's an awesome idea. I'm, I'm not telling her what the Watchmen, like what definitively happened in that, but I am sort of telling her when something overtly references it. Like the newsstand guy? Um, no, but like the trans-dimensional aliens raining from the sky. Right. I told her what that was referencing. Right. Um, or, you know, like... The, what, what the spaceship that keeps, or the, the ship that keeps appearing, like they crashed... Night Owl's ship. Oh, do you think the Night first Owl's episode? ship was the thing that picked up? It was absolutely the, guy's the thing that thing picked up the, the car. Episode? Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It, it, yeah, there, it's doing a lot of really cool stuff. But I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the Watchmen source material a ton, which is why I started reading it again, um, but haven't finished it obviously. So yeah. It's a follow-up to Watchmen. It takes place 30 years after. Django, you and Justin are the two biggest Watchmen people I know. So that's why I'm sort of interested in getting Thank your you. thoughts of it. Yeah? I'm, I'm really digging it. I think uh, I think they're doing a really good job of not just telling that story again, which is kind of what comics keep doing when they do it. And I enjoy that. Um, I don't think I would enjoy it in a, a TV or a movie format. But the way that they are taking the moral quandary of who watches the Watchmen of that original book and sort of we've got police officers that have abused power. So one night a bunch of people tried to murder all the police officers as mm -hmm. a byproduct of that police officers are all wearing masks, which increases the amount of fear that society has about police officers. Cause we're all afraid that people with power abuse power. So now we've got this dual sided terrorism where people are afraid of police officers and they're attacking them and police officers are afraid of people so they're attacking them and it's all happening behind the radar and there is no good or bad team also we have a different read on when the police officers got attacked okay because at some point um uh, miami vice's don johnson okay who plays the old man police officer okay. Um, mentions to the lead character, I, I can't remember Mother her Knight. name, yeah, that the Rorschach bad guys, the right-wing dickheads who attacked them had all of their names. Right. And that hinted to me that they were already operating in disguise at that point. Maybe. I, I think who knows? That, I think that, like... You know, that night that we saw the video of where she got attacked this time? Right. Um, they uh, didn't seem knight. to have masks. Like, they didn't, they, their identity seemed to be, and, and they've said that that was when she stopped being a police officer. Okay. Okay. So and I just, I just miss. I think that, I think that that was the moment where they decided to start wearing masks. Because, and their masks are so good. Yeah. And, and that gold mask guy who has such strong Rorschach vibes. He even, like, brings his, brings his mask up the eat. same way and he eats nuts instead of beans. Man, I think that's it's such an interesting read that maybe that guy is actually Dr. Manhattan. I thought maybe Yeah, there's there's so much really cool stuff going on. Yeah. Um and the flashbacks are great. Like the best part of the Watchmen movie for me was the opening credits yeah. where they're showing you the entire the, history of the Watchmen. One of the greatest interest scenes of a movie, I think, of all time. Yeah. The only distracting thing is that they had to make Bob Dylan's song a little bit longer, so they looped little bits of oh, it they, they and it, it pulls me out of it. But they did the same kind of thing with the hangman in the second episode. Dude, that such a good that scene. documentary is so good. Yeah. And I love the ridiculously long 
disclaimer before the yeah. documentary. They're like, this isn't for kids. If you have kids, they shouldn't watch it. It's, it's got, sensitive. <laughs> yeah, it's got sex abuse. It's got violence. It's got yeah. misogyny. It's got, you know, like they just don't let anybody ever watch this. And then we watch it. So they are painting the world so well. Yeah. You know, it is a... There's a lot of direct storytelling going on with indirect things like that. Mm -hmm. We're sort of learning about this almost censored police state that people are living in by how many disclaimers there are to just watch something. Which is how the original Watchmen kind of built the world. Right. Right? Um, and I just caved last night and bought the first of three vinyl records that is coming out for the soundtrack. Nice. Because Trent Reznor is doing the whole soundtrack, and it is so good. Just piped straight in through Jeff's butthole. It is, man. And, like, the there's a reoccurring theme in it that, like, is a direct sort of musical quotation of John Carpenter themes. It's mm. the song that played right as she walked up to the Hanging Man at the beginning of the second episode, but also happened every time a car was driving in the night. Like, super bad synthy yeah, kind of. like yeah. Halloween. Like, like yeah. that. And it's... John Carpenter is a huge Trent Reznor uh, influence, but he never has done anything that direct of a reference, except for last year for Halloween. He did a re-recording of John Carpenter's Halloween theme. He's never really had like a movie to put that in, right? Like, no, but he's done a lot of movies at this point. Yeah. But yeah, it's like there's just a really great pulsing electronic dark piano soundtrack to the whole thing. I I am amazed by the caliber of this show. Yeah. Character design, the the yeah. twists, the reveals are done in a really interesting way, and that's not a big surprise to me because no. it, for all the all the shitty things you can say about Damon Lindelof, yeah. I th I think he's a really good storyteller. I don't know I if he tells so, yeah. a good story, but I think he's good at telling it. And there's a great video of Dave Gibbons just sitting and drawing Mother Night and talking about character design while he draws her. It's beautiful. God, I hope we get some Dave Gibbons Watchmen out of this. Yeah, Dave Gibbons anything. Who knows if he's allowed to. Um, so, yeah, we could do a whole podcast about that. You may be doing one. Um, but uh, we should probably... Do you want to give a score to the issues episode the episode so far? Or how? Just what are you giving this show so far? I just... I. So far, it's the most interesting thing I'm watching on TV. Like, like nine, nine and a half. Yeah. Um, number two pulled back my enthusiasm just a little bit because now we ha I think we have a concrete shape of the story because it's only like eight or ten episodes. Yeah. Right? So they're not going to waste two episodes telling the same mystery if that's not the shape of the rest of the series. Uh, and I would like to see more of the world, I guess. And I'm sure we're going to get a little bit more, but I don't think we're going to get a second mystery out of this series. Yeah. Um, I'll also go nine, nine and a half, and I, I, I hope... I don't know if it's going to be a second season or not, and that's a weird thing that has more effect on how how much I enjoy something than I wish that it did. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really impressed with it. Ju Justin said like those squids are probably still raining from the sky as a way of the government keeping up this lie or this illusion to keep people scared, which oh, is brilliant. Man, yeah. Um, like you know this the shady government stuff. So anyway, it's or is it Doctor Manhattan throwing squids down? And I can't wait. Or is for it Ozzy doing it? Like who knows? It's Doomsday Clock has been a cool thing. We've enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, and it's I been a great follow up. Yeah, to... it's cool to get something that is that feels so much like a Watchmen follow up that doesn't tie it to the DC universe. I love getting a Watchmen follow up, but the conceit of it is let's tie it to the DC universe. And this is not doing that at all. And it's not using Watchmen as a crutch. I think that with one extra episode, 
they could tell this exact same story and explain all the bullshit that's happening that ties into Watchmen. Yeah. They might not even need a full extra episode to do it, but I, like I, I like that they're not. It stands alone. Yeah. Is what is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you need to know enough about Watchmen to to get some of the stuff that you're getting out of it. Yeah. Um but I feel like they could tell this story and somebody who's never read Watchmen could enjoy it in the same way that we enjoyed uh lost where we didn't know why there were polar bears there until the last second <laughs> so as we pull out of that that's the timestamp where everyone's back now that didn't want to hear watch the spoilers but i think that what Django just confirmed was that um i have not read this book in you know 10 or so years i don't remember a lot of it and i'm not an expert on the watchman at all and i'm enjoying it a ton so. can i can we do a, a video podcast of me reading it out loud to you yeah did you read the Mortars? I read The Moritors. I did, too. Uh, Gary Duggan, number one. Uh, Gary Duggan, Matteo Lolly, and Federico Blee. This is the first issue of the... This is the first X-Men ongoing series to come out after this House and Powers of X that's not written by Hickman. It's the first issue of the second series (laughs) of the Dawn of X after House of X and Powers of X. Yeah, exactly. Hox Pox, Docs. Space Docs? That's Ooh, a, cut that's that a dirty out. thing. Cut that out. That's gross. Do I have to? I don't know how dirty it is, but it's you know for me to cut something out. You're asking me to add four <laughs> minutes to my day. I thought you were. I thought you were going to say I don't know how to cut it out. Ah, <laughs> uh, isn't it a dog? You're removing a dog's tail or something? No, it's a poop thing. Oh, it's a penis poop thing. I think it's fucking somebody with frozen poop. Space dog. You're gonna have to take dog. some of this shit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marauder, <laughs> Moritors, Django. I know how I feel about this, but what's more interesting to me is what do you think about this book? I really like the setup of it. Um, I thought the solutions that the characters had to the problems in this series were pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is Kitty Pride. Oh, sorry. Kate Pride. Don't call me Kitty. Yeah. Um, for some reason, can't get into Krakoa through the portals. And so she takes a boat to Krakoa full of whiskey and what Wolverine... Pomade. What? Pomade. 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 Yeah, pomade for Wolverine's hair. Um, he asks for bottles of beer and she brings him kegs. Um, she goes to Krakoa on a boat and ends up being um, kind of making a team to go stop humans from preventing mutants from getting to Krakoa through the Krakoan doors. Uh, On her her team are Pyro, who apparently was the first mutant that they tested the cloning and rebirth Mm -hmm. on. Um, Lockheed, of course, because Kate Pride can't do anything (laughs) without Lockheed. Uh, Bobby Iceman and... Aurora Storm. Uh-huh. It was pretty good. I thought, if you're going to fucking go to Krakoa and you're a mutant, why would you take a boat? Because A, how would you find it, really? And B, don't you know anybody who can fly you there? Yeah. Um, Which is fine. Like, if she needed some alone time, I get sitting on a boat and reading comics for two days... I can relate to wanting that, but it seemed a little convenient that that, that was what she was doing since the team name is Marauders, yeah. like pirates, and they end up on a boat taking like the least intelligent 
mode of transportation to go all around the world and fight with people. I think that they had to kill some humans when they shot at Kate and she phased out mm-hmm. and there were bullets going through <laughs> her. That seems like a like not a very X-Men way of handling that. And uh, there was one other thing that just jumped out at me is like, why these people are dumb. Like, I know they have got mutant abilities, but they're acting in the least efficient and effective way possible. Yeah. That said, I liked, I liked the banter. I liked the action and uh, I I enjoyed the setup. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I liked it quite a bit. I think that that is anchored by loving House and Powers as much as I did mm-hmm. and having so many questions and story hooks that I am incredibly eager to see pursued. Mm-hmm. And this issue proved to me that they are on track to be following up following up on a lot of really interesting things. And just like the idea of like why Kitty can't go through that gate right. spawned a lot of different possible theories in my brain. That's That's my favorite mystery that they set up yeah. by far. And I love a book that sets up a mystery that is interesting. And a lot of times when a mystery is presented, for better or for worse, I can think that I have the solution in my mind. Right. And even if I'm wrong, that feeling that you think you know it isn't super awesome. Right. And this, there's several equally good sounding responses that I don't, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, and does Krakoa not want her? Is she not a mutant? Does Krakoa... I mean, ultimately, I think that there was going to be something where, you know, Kitty starts to feel, Kate starts to feel dejected, rejected by Krakoa. And ultimately, it's going to turn out that actually, no, Krakoa needs you for something so special you couldn't be there. Right. And that sort of sense of rejection will, you know, turn into a sense of, uh, you know, actual sense of being special and, and increasing their bond. Is she going to go by Catherine by the end of the series? I hope so. That's my mommy's name. But Oh, I know. Yeah. The... Ultimately, it's set up, it's a book about characters in this world that fascinates me now. Yeah. And I've always wanted to like the X-Men more than I do. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to know them. And I've always thought that they're really cool. So if you can give me a book with characters that I want to like, and you can help me get to know them without making me feel like I don't know them. Right. Then that's very exciting to me. And I think that this did that very well. Like yeah. it. It didn't make me feel like I'm ignorant of a lot of history, but it also didn't... I don't, I don't know. It, it walked a really fine line. I think the art was really nice. Yeah. They're doing this crazy thing with these books where they are really making kind of... House and Powers really looked like two artists be, you know, channeling Stuart Eminem. This person is also channeling Stuart Eminem. I think it's really interesting that the art direction for this book is a very... Like, Eminem has always been sort of just left of what the Marvel House style is. Yeah. And they're doing a really good job of creating a cohesive art style to all these books. Yeah. Lionel Yu, uh, Matteo Lolly, R.B. Silva, and Pepe Larraz have all, they've, they've done a thing. I don't know if it's the inkers or the colorers are helping, but it all looks kind of in the way that like in the 90s X-Men, like I can't tell what was Eric Larson or what was McFarlane or what was Jim Lee. Like they all have a very similarly muscular, pouchy... I mean, I know which Spider-Man was, but like... I don't think Eric Larson or Todd McFarlane drew those, buddy. Uh, no, sorry. Not just X-Men, but Spider-Man. Oh, just... Like, okay, the, that yeah. era of comic booking, um, there was a style, and yeah. it was almost ubiquitous to the point where, like, Randy Imberlin and Eric Larson both did stuff kind with that carnage stuff, and I don't bit. know which, who is who. And I think that 
Um, I think that X-Men at that time, John Byrne, like, I, I think that if you can make a thing just feel like an X-Men book of the time and not so much like specific artists, right. it kind of gives that whole family of book a sort of special feeling. You know, I've never really been a fan of the idea of a house style. Me neither. And I, I know that it's, it's a, I know it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you read a DC book from a certain decade, and you read a Marvel book from that same decade, you know which is which without even... Right. It, it, it doesn't matter what's being drawn. The DC books look like DC books, yeah. and the Marvel books look like Marvel books, with exceptions for totally out-there artists. I do kind of like the idea of a family style. And I, I that's what I wanted to say as you were saying that. You just said it, I, which is I totally agree. Yeah. Like, let's give the X-Men this this look because let's give the fantastic four books that look it feels sort of like an era in that storytelling and i, and I yeah. think that you know the claremont era of x-men kind of did that yeah and and in general a house style i feel like is almost like lowest common denominator style like right. the new 52 had a very distinct look and it was mm -hmm. very brett boothy like very anyway um so i like that they're accomplishing that to an extent in these I would never want that to the detriment of people being able to sort of freely express an artistic style. Right. But, um, yeah, I don't know this. I like the first issue of X-Men more than this one. Did you read that one? I did. Did you like that? How do you, how are you comparing ranking these? I think with each issue of these, these first six series, we should rank them. I would put the first issue of X-Men probably above this one. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that the text pages and the diagram pages in this one felt a little more forced. It's not Hickman doing it, like, I, and I know you I know, know it's that, not Hickman doing but it, but it, you can tell. It's well, like he didn't do the ones in House and Powers either. Oh, did he not? No, he had a graphic designer that worked with him to do it. Well, I'll send you a link to the podcast from the guy that did it. I, yeah, actually, Justin's really into that guy. Um, but I, just, just the the like as devices, they they felt like required pages, and that's what I mean. Like not yeah. the graphic design feeling like Hickman, but. Hickman wanted these infographics in his book for a reason. Yeah. This to me feels like we have to maintain a style. So right. let's like, you know, do three, do three diagram pages, right? Like, you know, Logan's grocery list doesn't need to be one of those, but they made it that to fit a style. Whereas Hickman's stuff, I think all needed to be the way that it was. Cause it was yeah. his brain doing it. Well, we don't need the density that that provides for Logan's shopping. Exactly. List. Exactly. I, I did really like the gag of Logan's shopping yeah. list laid out like a Jonathan Hickman joke right. or like very serious Jonathan Hickman thing. But it just stood out as almost a parody of what it was trying to do straight-faced. And, you know, this one has the red diamonds of gossip from the Sinister I, Bar at the I end. I know you guys don't like that. I like that. I don't dislike it. Um, I had to cut 40 minutes out on the podcast where those first came out of us <laughs> dissecting all of those. Uh, they make me aware of how little I know about X-Men Mythos. I've got no right. problem with them at all. I just, it makes me wish I knew them. Yeah, I, I feel the same. X-Men... Then Marauders. Colette actually felt swapped. She liked Marauders more than X-Men. So nice. I want to uh, echo her sentiments there. I think that this book would be incredible if Dowderman, who did the cover, did the interior art. Well, yeah. That would be amazing. Tell me a book that's not the case. Okay, yeah. tell me a not Bill Sienkiewicz book that that's the case with. <laughs> we really like him. Uh, Seven and a half. I'm going to go eight. Yeah? Is but, it because it's double-sized? You know, but it's an eight... In terms of its, I think, strict execution, mm -hmm. but I really can't stress enough how excited I am to be reading these books. And this 
confirmed that excitement. This was the big test of, am I going to like it if it's not Hickman? And Hickman did enough of like setting a dinner table that I'm going to, yeah. en- I think I'm going to enjoy the meal regardless what it is. Well, and uh, Jerry Dugan is, I generally like his I've stuff. I've never. He did Dead Eyes I've or Dead Rabbit. I've never thought after finishing a book of his, I like this writer. Like I've never hated his stuff, but I've never walked away being like, I need to read more Duggan books. I, I agree with you there, but I've always enjoyed the trip. Yeah. It's scary to go from Hickman to Duggan. It's you know, <laughs> like going from Lemire to Brisson and Old Man Logan, and that's what's going to happen with one of the X Men books. Is a it's a Brisson book. So the next like, one, right? Uh, New Mutants, whatever. Yeah. One. No, Excalibur is this week, which is Teeny Howard. Oh, so you'll get that one. Oh, I know what I thought was dumb. Yeah, I know the the, the other thing that made me mad was their pirate flag logo. Yes, that they hung his, on their and ship. That's the I graphic like, designer's fuck, logo. Fuck, fuck, fuck this. Yeah. Um, other than that, it was good enough to get a seven and a half for me. I'm way less precious about the X-Men books that are not Hickman doing them himself. So, uh, so that's like a nine and a half. I mean, it's an eight. (laughs) (laughs) It was an eight. Um, but I, I like it a lot and I, I hope that people check them out. We're pretty much sold out. So people are checking out. Um, but we got some extras. Everyone should sign up for these X-Men books because these first issues of all of them are going to go and they're going to go fast. So, uh, do you want to do a voicemail? I would like to, let's see if we can get a quick one out, because you actually have to start a shift 40 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. Roman's probably fine. He's amazing. Limping around down there. Um, let's see here. Here's here's a voicemail from, actually, it's from a listener. Ooh. Do you know we have listeners, Jeff? Oh, vis- listeners and viewers. Yeah. Let's, uh, I've got viewers, you got listeners. you got a great face for radio. <laughs> oh, God damn it. This thing isn't playing because of my... I love when he has a hard time getting his phone to work, and he gets real shamed. Hmm. Oh, I got an idea. Oh, man, I'm wasting five seconds, Let's six seconds, oh, seven yeah. seconds, eight seconds. Oh. Hey, dude nerd, Win here. Uh, love the podcast and, of course, the shop. So my question is, if you were going to recommend a comic book for a brand new artificial intelligence that might end the world, what would you give them them to read? <laughs> Personally, I'm inclined to say Injection by Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby, but how about you? You're one. Um, <laughs> Win Buckley, thank you so much for coming to the live podcast show. Thanks for being a part of our shop family, for coming in here. Uh, Win used to work at a shop that closed down, and <clears throat> they moved over to this area. And yeah, Win, you're just uh, a cool part of the family. So thank you so much for that question i've got my answer i already said mine it's year one it's batman year one no that's probably not fair so my inclination is to go with something that demonstrates the most humanity that something can have because a newly burgeoning Mm -hmm. ai is going to have a lot of programming and procedures and repetitions and you know algorithm okay and what i would like to try and do as much as i can is to sort of offset that with uh, the exact opposite of programming, which is the irrationality of human emotions. So, and, and Promethea? Uh, Day Tripper would be me. Here is, here is how somebody can have totally conflicting emotions about every aspect of their life uh-huh. and turn it into beauty, which doesn't make any sense. What huh. do you do with that? So are we going to have, at some point, or do you think um, Andrew Carlson, who, Love you, Andrew. who is... 
apparently working on a database of every joke we've ever made on the podcast. Andrew's going to be on an episode to talk about his scientific data findings, and I can't wait. He's also getting special unprocessed audio files of the five <laughs> episodes that were never released in the first ten episodes of our podcast. Andrew, so. I truly hope that if we have already mentioned Day Tripper at the point that you've you've made it through tracking our conversations... I hope that you have tracked Day Tripper because my question is, how often have we mentioned Day Tripper on this ep- on this podcast? Because probably a lot. It's a good goddamn comic, and it comes up quite a, a bit. A lot, yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. second only to fifteen other things. Yeah, but he is gonna <laughs> have some amazing research findings for us. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see those graphs, charts, yeah. and graphs. Um, man. Giving a, a, a new AI a comic to read. Injection's a great one though, Win. That's, that's yeah, a injection's answer. a good a good call. I I feel like I feel like the the goal is, like Jeff said, trying to show it um how humanity can exist in, in two streams at once or many. Yeah. Um how people can contain multitudes and try to teach it that it's okay if it does too. I don't think that a machine can. Right. I don't think that that's possible. I think people are, people and animals are able to be more than one thing. Because computers at almost like a fundamental core are binary. Yeah, it's on or off. Yeah. And like... IRO. You could, you could argue that we are on or off, but like the number of... When have we had lunch that day that determines whether we're on or off in response to a certain thing? Exactly. Um, So I would almost, I would almost go with something like, do you go with a cautionary tale? Like, like an Ultron story? Oh, or is that inspirational? Very smart. Right, that's the fear with your children, right? Yeah, like, are you gonna are you gonna give them good advice for them to rebel against or to follow? Do you show them bad outcomes and hope that they realize that that's you saying a worst outcome, or do they view it as a as that a role guy model? looks cool smoking? Yeah, exactly. Like, do you tell Naomi don't go fight with Superman so that she does? Exactly. Yeah. Um. So I would say either that or something along the lines of, and and this is. Mostly because it's top of my mind right now, but uh, I think Astro Astro City shows. Or Division. Uh, I would not. I would destroy every copy of the Vision before I let an AI <laughs> that, yeah. read that comic. Uh, that is not to be seen as a manual or uh, anyone being nice to AI or like keep that shit away from those guys. Um, I'm just thinking like to show humanity and and the way that different people deal with different things so what's your answer django astro city okay final answer okay i gotta read it all to know for sure but that's right now i think i'd give it astro fortunately city. that one does function in sort of separate chunks yeah you could give it the first six and i think that that would give you a, a good cross section although then it might think that people can fly i'm really excited for you to read that confessor story though that second yeah. one is oh i'm super cool fucking in um hey everybody thanks for being patient Uh, i'm still learning the ropes on this new editing software and also 
uh, scheduling's been insane, so we're recording this on the Monday that hopefully it would have gone up. So it's going to be a day late, but we appreciate you guys always being excited and always telling me that I'm late. Uh, do, we, do we have anything fun coming up? Like we got, I think we're going to have a Bantam brunch. Yes, we on the tenth. Uh, so subscribers will get a some sort of coupon or invitation to. We got a brunch pretty Bantam. new uh, restaurant in Bellingham on Railroad called Bantam. And ba- it's, Bantam Forty Six. Yeah, and it's a great uh, chicken restaurant. That's got all types of manipulations on chicken. Delicious. And, and no tipping. And no tipping. They don't allow tipping. Uh, it feels weird, but it's awesome. But it's awesome. So, um, yeah, on the 10th of November, which will be a week after my birthday, we're going to all meet at Bantam, and we'll give you some more deets or come into the shop and ask about it. But that's a cool, fun thing. We've also got Hollam's Ween this Thursday. Oh, on the 31st, come by. There's a big downtown parade going on, and yeah. we'll have uh, Halloween books to give out. Probably other stuff. Probably I don't know. other stuff, but you just got back into town. The world's been crazy. So how about you just sort of, you know, handle your, your small plate before you load up a bunch of mashed potatoes on it? Gosh. All right. You're bathing in gravy, baby. Oh. You're just going to have to put more potatoes on that plate to give this gravy something to mound to. You want some of this gravy? I don't, buddy. I made it with my body. Oh, God. Uh, I'm Jeff, and I forever am disinterested in Jangu's body gravy. I'm Django. Oh, God. It came out of my body. Like body gravy. Oh, God. Body gravy.